Till I'm Tiptoed You Dot com The podcast about pop culture Black history and spirituality Yeah It's about to be a great vibe Dr. Tip Gonna take it away Till I'm Tiptoed You Hey y'all, hey, it's your girl Tip. Thank you for joining me for another edition of Tell Em Tip Told You. I'm excited to have you with us today. Today, if you're listening, I am recording this on King Holiday 2020. Um, And for many of us, we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr.'s day um, in service to other people Right. It's a day. It's not a day off. It's a day on. Right. A lot of us use that hashtag. So I wanted to dedicate today to talking about what it means to be in service. Um, so we're going to talk about what that means service, what it means to Tiffany, what I hope it means to you. I do want to hit a little bit about Virginia and what's going on there with the militia and gun rights and all that kind of foolishness. I do want to talk about the Tyler Perry. He's bragging now about it taking him five days to shoot his latest film on Netflix. So let's just jump right in. Let's start with the Tyler Perry joint, right? Well, no, 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 no. Let's start with Virginia because I can segue from Tyler into service a lot easier. Um, But I just, you know, because this podcast deals with pop culture, I think it's important for us to acknowledge what's happening in Virginia today. So if, if you've been under a rock or you're not aware, in Virginia right now, there are protests at the Capitol about gun rights. And that's because the governor is moving towards regulating gun sales and things like that um, to try to curtail some of this violence that's happening in this country that has always happened in this country. Um, but particularly around the use of automatic weapons. And in response to that, you have a lot of these neo-Nazi, white supremacist, um, white nationalist militia gathering um, to show their arms at the Capitol in protest. Now, a couple of things that I think that I want to say in reference to that, right? One is, y'all let it get that far. So in Charlottesville, when you had you know, the the boys in the khakis with the little patio torches they got from Lowe's marching and you had 45 trying to defend it, saying there are good people on both sides. What you were doing was creating an environment where a lot of these militia folk felt very comfortable being very visible um, in their white supremacist rhetoric and in their violence. Um, I don't think we've learned from our lesson. I don't know why we're giving space to make that okay, to have these kinds of ideas okay. But for me as a black woman in particular, what I see when I see that is evidence that more of us need um, to be licensed carriers of weapons, to have firearms in our homes with ammunition, for us to be trained in gun safety and gun use, for more of us to be at the range, and for more of us to be teaching our children to defend themselves. Not necessarily because I want us to be violent, but simply because I want us to be prepared. If you are looking at these militia, they are training. And many of us are afraid of weapons or we've never seriously considered having to use them. 
And I am not an advocate for combat. I'm not an advocate for violence. All I'm saying is, what's that proverb, y'all, about it's better to be a gardener trained for war than to be a gardener in the middle of a war? It's something like that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We need to be prepared, right? Where I... um, I'm moving back to Southwest Georgia. That's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother day. But where I um, work, it is not unusual to see somebody with a rifle across the back of their truck. It's not unusual to see signs for the Klan on these back roads, things like that. I travel with my weapon. With I am a licensed carrier. You know, I think we have to be prepared in case something happens. Right. I have a taser I keep in my coat pocket when I'm walking the dog at night. Just little things like that. I think we have to be prepared and we have to to take that preparation seriously. That is a form of self-care. Right. Um, And so I just wanted to say that about Virginia. If you have not seen any of the media coverage of it, take it, take a take a gander. And if you are one of those people who are afraid of gun ownership, I just want you to look at that and see what's happening. See, I, I am pro-regulation of gun sales, right? I, I am licensed. I, they ran my background, all that kind of stuff, right? I couldn't get my license the, the day. I had to wait. All, I am pro all of that. And I, I'm anti-automatic rifles. You don't need those things. Even if you're hunting, you don't need that, right? So you can as I do, believe in gun ownership and still believe in gun regulation. It is not an either-or situation. It's a both-and. And I just want us to be um, informed and prepared. All right? So I'm going to get off of that. I just wanted to hit on it. Now, let's get on this other thing that I wanted to discuss. And that is, I don't even know the name of the new movie because, you know, I'm an anti-Tyler Perry. I just don't like Tyler Perry. I think he don't like black women and I don't like him back. Now, if you're a Tyler Perry fan, let me tell you what I mean by that. In his stage plays, which is when I first fell in love, he's funny now. Let me tell you, he is entertaining. But it took me two or three stage plays to realize he has a problem with successful black women and that they are always villainized in his film. He is anti-successful black men. They are usually vilified in his film. Now, blue-collar, hard-working black women are celebrated in his film, as are um, women who are ultra-religious and less sexual, right? They're, they're made heroes in his films. Um, and so it sells to a particular population. He's made a lot of money appealing to that particular population. I think he's brilliant in that way. And I think he is well-meaning. Like, I listen to some of his interviews, and I'm like, oh, brother, you almost there. If I could just push you over the line, woo-woo. Like, I applaud him building his studios in Atlanta, in the area of Atlanta he chose to build. But I also know you displaced people, and you took advantage of gentrification in that area. So for me, it's a both-and with Tyler, right? It's not an either-or. I'm not, I'm not a fan, but I don't have a problem with other people who are fans, But I do want to say this. So he got uh, he was, you know, on Twitter in the in the Twitter rounds a couple of weeks ago because he posted a picture of all these scripts and he was boasting about writing them alone. And many of us were like, ah, ha, ha, ha. We can watch your shows and tell you ain't got no professional help (laughs) right? because it's the same plot over and over and over again. And it's just terrible. Right. 
But it's like right, watching a train wreck for some people is entertaining. My mother watches them. It's entertaining for that particular population of black folk. Um, but it said something to me about your willingness to, to be challenged artistically and to create art rather than just something to sell. And it bothered me, but I didn't, I didn't enter into that discussion because I just felt like, you know, whatever. He, we should have known for a long time he's problematic, but that's another thing. So now the latest thing is this new um, Netflix show, movie, whatever it, it is, A Fall from Grace, The Fall from Grace, something like that. And I have not seen it. So let me just in full transparency say I have not seen it. I have no plans to watch it. Um, and what, what furthered my decision to not watch it is him now bragging that it took five days to shoot it. Listen, I understand that some of y'all really, really like Tyler. I don't have no problem with that. You can like who you want to like. And I understand that some of y'all watched it and said it was okay. My problem is that I think far too often black people are conditioned to just accept what they are given. And it's bothering me because there seems to be a trend across the board with this. Here's what I mean. There is someone I know on social media who is a writing coach and her whole program is to get you to write your book in eight weeks or less. And it's hard for me to, to buy into that when I know there are scholars who label, labor excuse me, over books for years trying to make sure every little thing, every little footnote, all the information is just right, right? They, that they, I'm one of those people, right, that will be in the archives for days, not even taking notes, but just mulling over things, thinking through them to make sure you have the best ideas in print. And then there are those people who just want to rush to market. And I have a hard time. I have a hard, because of my basic ideological positioning, that the work I do when I'm writing is to be in service I told you today's theme was service to be in service to my reader. I want my reader to walk away from my books feeling empowered, feeling informed and feeling that the person who wrote that book cared enough to do the hard work to make sure it was quality. And when I hear someone like Tyler brag about writing all these scripts alone, or creating a film in five days, what I hear from him, what I hear from him is, I did not care enough to take my time. See, rush jobs are seldom done well. If someone built your house in five days, I don't know that you would feel comfortable. Or would you be expecting it to start leaking in a few years? Right? If I take my car into the shop, I'm ready to sit all day. Because if there is something wrong, I don't want you just fixing it in 10 minutes. No, take your time. Make sure you understand what's really wrong. Diagnose it well. Figure out the best fix. None of that stuff happens quickly. In a relationship, now I'm not saying all relationships, but in a relationship, it gets better with time because you know the person. You're growing to know the person. You're learning the person. Things take time. And for someone to create something like a film in five days, like, 
<laughs> somebody had on YouTube, it was the clip. It was almost like, y'all remember Ray J's hat, how it kept changing on Love and Hip Hop? It was this lady's wig and it kept changing like that in the scene. And I'm like, that's what I mean. If you're creating things for black, if you're a black person creating things for black folk, don't half-ass it. Just do you care enough about your people to be in service to your people? Like, don't just throw shit together and think because it's black, I should have I should want that or I should have to want it. And that's part of my frustration with black people who act like we can't critique Tyler Perry and some of his. We should be able to critique him because he's not giving you the best that he can. I think he's incredibly talented. Like I told you, I used to love his plays until I realized the pattern. Right. I think he's funny. And I think if he had the right team around him, he could create some quality art. Let me just tell you that there is a positioning in black studies that art is not for art's sake, that it always serves some kind of purpose. And even comedies, even things that are seemingly entertaining should serve some kind of purpose. And that purpose can be released like a comedy. You might need to let some pressure off so it doesn't build up. You've heard me defend black joy and black humor before. I, so I don't have a problem with people being silly. I don't have a, but I have a problem when there's no purpose. And in five days, I don't believe you had a purpose. I think you were just trying to get something done so you could make some money. I just had to weigh in on that because the conversation is going around. And I just wanted you to know what I think. And I think is, what I think is, Black people who create should care enough to be in service to other black people that consume. And that is creating something of quality. Now, if you can create a quality manuscript in eight weeks, have at it. Have it. Do it. But make sure it's quality. Five days for a film, I just don't think it's quality. And some of the errors that y'all are showing me, it shows me it ain't quality. But that's a whole nother story. All right. So I've talked to you about um, that I've hit my pop culture parts. Let me get to what I really wanted to talk about today. And that is what service means. Some of you know that I'm Lukumi. Lukumi is a um, cultural tradition. Some people will call it a religion. Um, and some people erroneously call it Santeria, but it is the cultural, spiritual cultural traditions of Yoruba people that were transmitted via the transatlantic slave trade into Cuba and other parts of the Caribbean, and by way of that into the United States. Now, um, Lukumi has an oral sacred text called Odu Ifa, right? So you might consider that like our, our Bible. I'm just using that for comparison's sake. Just in case there's somebody who needs to understand what I mean by Odu Ifa. It is an oral text. Sometimes people write it down, but it's primarily oral. And one of my favorite scriptures from Odu Ifa is Irosun Iwari. And it is, um, let me just give you the general breakdown of it. It is that humans were tired of coming to earth. The Lukumi believe partially in reincarnation. That you're born, you die, you go to heaven, and then when it's time, you're reborn, you die, you go to heaven. And so humans had got grown tired of this cycle, and they went to the creator and asked, why do we have to keep going to earth? Um, and the creator responded that basically until you create the good condition on earth, then you'll have to keep going to earth. Your, your work is unfinished. Now, what does that mean? The Lukumi believe that 
it is human effort that will make peace on earth. It's a little bit different from Christianity in that way. Christians believe that, you know, you got the rapture and then, then God comes and makes peace on earth. But in Lukumi, we believe that it is a human responsibility to make things right. And that fundamentally shifts the onus of responsibility to effort rather than faith. Right now, I don't think that's anti-Christian because the Bible teaches us that faith without works is dead. But I think Iroso and Iwari privileges that work a little bit more than Christianity tends to as we practice it in the United States generally. In Iroso and Iwari, what we are learning is that it is humans that must be in service to mankind and to nature in order to create the good condition. Like, I have to do my part to make sure everything is okay. And that's what it means to be in service to others. So as we celebrate King today, we witness the works of a human who did the, the physical labor, the emotional labor, the mental labor to be in service to his community to create the good condition on earth. I celebrate him today, but I also celebrate those around him who assisted him in that work. Ella Baker, Bayard Rustin, people who don't get the kinds of accolades we do for King. I think, one, in addition to rescuing Radical King from this neoliberal positioning of him as a nonviolent teddy bear, right, that we also present him as part of the networks that enabled his thing to do its thing. Let me give you what I mean by that. In Charles E. Cobb's book, That Nonviolent Stuff Will Get You Killed, he writes about that, yes, King was nonviolent. King worked within a nonviolent context. However, there were people around him that were armed to protect him. We don't learn that part in, in public schools in the United States. We don't learn the part that nonviolent protesters need armed protection. Like, I didn't learn that until I read Cobb's book. Like, I kind of sh should have known that just because of who my grandparents were, right? I think I've told you before, my grandfather kept a loaded rifle under every bed in his house. And he used to say, what good is a gun if it's unloaded? <laughs> There's a hint for you if you ever want to run up on me. But <laughs> anyway, I'm just joking. Not really. I'm just saying that we have to rescue the idea that King somehow was an anomaly. He was made possible by the efforts of people around him. And he, he acknowledged that. I think we have to do a better job of acknowledging that none of you would be familiar with the I have a dream speech, which I am tired of liberals throwing in our face. But none of us would recognize it if it hadn't been for Mahalia Jackson telling him to say the part about the dream. So those kinds of people around him who shaped his positioning, who informed his political ideologies and his behaviors and his strategies, we have to give knowledge to. We have to also acknowledge the role that black power activists had in shaping King's work. That's why I love to use a letter from a Birmingham jail when I teach interest convergence, which is a critical race theory construct. Interest convergence is the idea that if I'm negotiating with white supremacists, for example, I have to show them how it benefits them to come to my conclusion. 
And a letter from a Birmingham jail is a wonderful rhetorical device to show how that works. So in a letter from a Birmingham jail, King actually says that, that you know, you know, sooner or later, these black people will get fed up. They're going to get fed up. I don't know when it's going to happen, but sooner or later, these black people are going to get fed up. So it is better for you to come to the table and negotiate with me than for them to go the other way towards this black power movement. King could not have done that, except that there were other people in place that I operated ideologically different than he did. Right. I think there is a lesson in that about systems. You've heard me talk about this before. Systems. We are oppressed by and large by systems. Economics works with spirituality, works with politics and all those different things and strategies within them have been used to marginalize black, brown and poor people in this country. In response to systems, we must be systematic, which means all of us have to play our own position. If there had been no black power movement, there would have been no interest convergence. There would not have been a need to negotiate with King, except that you feared what would happen if black folks stopped following King. You understand what I'm saying? So King, on his day, we celebrate not only his radical self, but the radical systems that enabled a radical king to exist. Do you understand what I'm saying? So today, part of our service to ourselves needs to be exploring King's writings and his sermons and really thinking about the strategies that undergird him. I think that's another thing that the public school system does to us. It teaches us to honor King because of, because of his oration, because of his speeches, right? We pay attention to his speeches and his marches and his arrests. But I don't think we spend enough time thinking about how strategic the brother was. Again, that, that's why I like that letter. In it, you can see his strategy at play. He points out the hypocrisy of the white Christians. He points out the problematic positioning of the white liberal. And he uses interest convergence to get his needs met. Like, I think we need to study him like a, a chess master studies chess moves because he, he had strategy. And I don't know that we spent enough time in that part of King. So on today, let me challenge you to do that. And not only to do that in, in the study of him, but to do that in our own work, in our own work. So again, today is a day of service because we honor the way King served us, but also it needs to be a day of service so we can figure out how we can be in better service to our communities, right? How can we emulate King's networks contemporarily? How can we rebuild the kind of networks that enabled the work that he did? The brother traveled all over the East Coast and across the South to march in these various protests. How did the information get shared? Remember, they didn't have social media like we have social media. So how were they able to organize? Those kinds of networks need to be reestablished and rebuilt. And our service can look like that. Uh, today, I'm home. I'm purposely at home today. My, my mother has gone to the MLK luncheon. There was an MLK um, walk this morning. I am purposely not participating in those things today. One, because I wanted to record the podcast. And two, because I want to work on my book. Because I want us to reevaluate what we mean when we say today is a day of service. 
Is it a day of being seen in service or is it a day of service? Right. I'm going to push us on that. Now, I'm not criticizing anybody who went to the lunch. I just told you my mama went. I'm not criticizing anybody who went to a luncheon. I'm not criticizing any fraternity or sorority that had a breakfast, an ecumenical service um, that marched in their cities. I'm not criticizing any of that unless that's the only thing you do this year. All right. You, you take that how I mean it. I applaud those things. I think those things are important, but they do not supersede real service. So if today is the only day you volunteer, there is a problem. If today is the only day you present something of excellence to your community, there is a problem. Now, let me get to the next part of this I want to talk about. And that is I ran into one of my mentors this week unexpectedly. I didn't know he was in town. I ran into him and he didn't recognize me. And that thing has bothered me since it ha- I mean, it has tremendously affected me. Some of you know that I shape my pedagogy and my relationship with, relationships with students based on his pedagogy and his relationship with me. I have wanted to be for my students what he was and is for me. And so when I'm thinking about service today, Knowing that he is not mentally what he he has been, and to know that potentially, potentially, that great intellect is um, I don't want to say lost because again I don't know the details. I just know he didn't recognize me. Um, but there is something there that I'm dealing with, y'all, and it's difficult. And so another reason I wanted to be alone a little while today in addition to recording this podcast, is just to think through what it means to be in service to people the way that he was in service to me. He was a constant library. He was a source of wisdom and inspiration and advice. Um, He was a source of support. He challenged my ideas. He didn't just let me ride because I was his student. If I said something he thought was stupid, he challenged me. He pushed my thinking. And that is to be in service to people. And I just... I'm really reflective today about if I've been in in good enough service to people around me. I try to push. Y'all know I try to push. But I don't know that I'm as clear in my intentions with the pushing. Sometimes you may feel like I'm just hard for nothing or that I'm, I'm, um, I'm just a smart ass who always has something negative to say. No, I push because... I know the kind of brilliance we're capable of. And when we when we have asked, like recording a movie in five days, I just don't think we're living up to our full potential. And we're definitely not bringing about the good condition when we have asked things. And so I'm thinking about what it means to be part of what Naeem Akbar calls a legacy of excellence. If we imagine that like a chain, then this particular mentor was the link that held me. And I'm thinking through... My, my physical mortality, but also that legacy of excellence and wanting to ensure what I create for people, for my clients, for my students, for just people I know, is a strong link in that chain. And to ensure that whatever link comes behind me or whatever links come behind me, I'm doing my best work. 
So as I think about a day in service, I'm thinking about that, what it means to be excellent in service. And it is um, it's difficult. Now, let me say this. In black studies, we have a concept called black cultural ethos. It's, it's, a, it's a theoretical construct that tells us how culturally we exist in the world. And one of those things is collectivism, that black folk like groups, right? that we prefer groups, we operate at optimal capacity when we're in groups, groups push us to our best part. And maybe that's why the Tyler Perry writing thing bothers me so much to know he's trying to do it alone. Y'all know I think, I'm not even going to say think, y'all know I can write my ass off. I will tell anybody I can write my ass off. However, my writing is never as good when I do it by myself than it is when I share it with other people and get the pushback. When we are considering what it means to have a day in service, a day of service, I think we have to remember that we must also serve ourselves if we are to serve other people. I can't work towards the good condition on earth if I'm not working towards the good condition for Tiffany. And the good condition must include me connecting to good people who believe, not exactly like I believe, but at least in alignment so that we can push each other. That's part of being in service to self. The other part of being in service to self, I was having this conversation um, in regards to my mentor because to be a black scholar activist is difficult. It's hella stressful. Um, He was connected by a good circle of people. So I don't know that this is his case, but definitely it can be incredibly isolating work depending on where you are. If you're not, at a university that welcomes that kind of work and labor, doesn't acknowledge it, it can be extremely difficult and stressful. And I've talked to you all before about how stress kills. So when we are, (coughs) excuse me, when we are thinking about service, we also have to think about being of service to self. It's, it was 30 something degrees this morning for that march. Y'all know I got bad sinus issues. It doesn't take much to set them off. Um, It would not have behooved me to be out there marching and think that service when I could be in here writing and being of service because I've chosen to privilege myself. And it's different. People who know me are like, you look different. You seem happier. And it was the shift I made, y'all. It sincerely was the shift towards I am going to take better care of myself and say no so that I can be in better service to somebody else. Because marching this morning, I can't think of how that really serves someone. And because of that, I'm going to shift my focus. Those of you who did my time blocking training yesterday, you, you, I talked to you about I'm shifting my focus now from just tasks that just kind of are there to fat tasks that actually help me do the things I say I will most want to do, which is to be in service to my community. I couldn't see how me being out there in the cold, potentially getting sick, is in service to somebody Other than the people who are marching around me, we have that immediate feel-good thing. We got some um, pictures for Instagram and for our social media accounts, and we can tweet out that we were there and that kind of... But 
what does it actually do to change the lives of the students I say I want to affect? I'd rather stay home and create some lessons for them. I, I just, you know, I just want us to, to reevaluate what we mean by service. I, I want us to really think through what we mean by service. To honor through effort. What do we really mean by that? I'm going to challenge you to think about that today. Um, so I do want to wish you a happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I hope you are thinking through his strategy and his real sacrifices for us. I hope you are thinking about the people he surrounded himself with, the networks of quote unquote normal people who made the work possible. I hope we are acknowledging and celebrating them in the same ways. I hope that our service to others includes being excellent and intentionally trying to make this world a better place. And I really, really want us to hold one another accountable to create uh, for creating quality for one another, because we love each other so. I hope you've enjoyed this edition. Even if you don't, send me a message at Dr. Tip and tell them tiptoldyou.com and let me know why. Let's talk through this. Also, if you want to be a guest on the podcast, make sure you visit the website at www.tellemtiptoldyou.com. Click the link on that first page and go ahead and send me um, a notice that you want to be on the podcast and we'll get something scheduled. I'm going to start those interviews probably next week. So in the next couple of episodes, you'll be hearing from other people. I really want to have other voices on this show to talk about what it means to be excellent black folk in service to the community. Um, so that's the only qualifier. If you want to be on the podcast, I need you to be, want it to be excellent. Um, anything else? Anything else? Anything else? I think those are my only announcements. Oh, uh, no, we'll talk about that next time. I think those are my only announcements. I just want to leave you with the sentiment that I know you're already excellent. Stop hiding it. If anybody asks you why, tell them Tip Told You. Have a good one. Today's episode of the Tell Them Tip Told You podcast is brought to you by the Ultimate Self-Care Mastermind Coaching Program. To learn more, visit www.tellemtiptoldyou.com.